Hi, everybody. My name is Daniel Copeland, and I'm the author of the novel Let It Be. And today I'm uh, talking with Lee Schneider, uh, novelist, writer, filmmaker, uh, raconteur. And uh, Lee and I have known each other for many years. We actually started making movies together in high school and uh, kind of been friends and uh, co-conspirators uh, over the years. Welcome, Lee. Hey, thanks so much. You remind me of the time we destroyed a piano together to make a movie. Uh, one of our first movies, we didn't tell my parents that we were taking a piano apart to crash it. And then we thought erroneously that we could put it back together again. <laughs> and we were very wrong. <laughs> so, yes, I, I re remember taking the pieces to the dump. Uh, yes. And throwing them out of the trunk of your car as fast as possible. Right, pretending that no one would notice that one day there was a piano there and the next day it was gone. <laughs> but That's you know, right. That was, <laughs> that was our thinking at the time. It didn't quite hold yeah. water. Yeah, and even more <laughs> funny was dropping uh, our lead actor on top of the piano and watching it collapse with him on top of it. That was probably the best stunt that I've ever pulled off in all these yeah. years of making media after that. <laughs> That, that and throwing the dummy out of his apartment window from five stories up. Mm, that was good. That was good. Or dragging him by yeah. his tie behind the car. But, you know, we, we could go on. We're supposed to be talking yes. about your book. So. Indeed. So um, thanks for uh, talking. And uh, so you've had a chance to read the novel. And uh, so let me ask you, you know, based on the title and kind of the log line, what surprised you most about the book? I would say what surprised me most about Let It Be was its tenderness. It really holds up as a love story. And as I'm going to talk about in a moment, you know, some of the characters definitely have an edge to them. But there's also a, a very um, gentle, loving aspect to it, which really blew me away. I wasn't expecting to find that in a book like this. Wow. So, speaking of characters, who were your favorite characters? Well, you know, I like the the, the Yates Dane character. He reminds me of a, a character in a Scorsese film. Uh, kind of, um, he has this tortured inner life, which he projects outward into physical actions. And it's very, it's easy to show that kind of a character in a movie. But I think it's very hard to write that kind of character in a novel because it's very action-oriented you know the, the dialogue that he speaks is short and crisp and on the mark and the the dialogue of the other lead character Etram is is um, also realistic but you know more flowery and often in novels the dialogue is what's so expressive about the people you know it's how we get to know them is by the way they talk but in this book, what was great for me is we get to know them by what they do, which is kind of a cinema feeling. But, and that's why I like, that's why I was drawn into the, the characters really by what they do more, even than, even though the dialogue was great, more than what they talked about. Right. So are there any characters where the characters did it something that they said, whoa, I didn't see that coming? <laughs> Well, practically everything. I mean, the, you know, the supernatural characters, you know, the characters who exist outside of our everyday world, 
have access to a lot more things than we can do, you know, you and I can do in this world. So, of course, they're always doing things that are sort of, wow, that's amazing. Uh, but what's really great about a book like this is that it inhabits its own world. It has its own grammar. It has its own uh, lexicon. It has its own world. And once you build that world and honor that world, you can go pretty far. The characters can do lots of stuff that you wouldn't even imagine, but it works in that world. So you go, okay, I get it. I understand. You know, the, right. the Yates End character, you know, does a lot of things that are uh, uh, brutal in some cases and surprising, but it's always on this continuum of his personality and his inner life. So uh, there are parts of it which are provocative and parts of it that are shocking, but it always makes sense in the context of the character. Right, right. So what were your favorite scenes or, or events or chapters? Well, I have to say the opening scenes, you know, being a writer myself, I know how difficult opening scenes are to do well. It's really hard to start a story. Of, of course, it's really hard to end a story, too. But it's really hard to start a story well. And the way you push out a few rapid scenes, one up against the other, gives us a quick grasp of the characters uh, and it gives us a quick setup of the scope of the story and for me I guess from a technical standpoint and emotionally but I'm talking mostly technically I was like wow that's good because I know that's really hard to do uh, I also know that it's very difficult to end movingly you know people is you can write and write and write and write and write and then at the end you know they're only going to remember that last sentence or maybe the last half a page and that's a big weight to put on a couple hundred words. Uh, so I was really looking forward to seeing how you're going to do that. And I think it, it was really moving at the end. Uh, it, it summed itself up in a way that I just never could have predicted that. I mean, when I look at it, it echoes scenes, you know, gives homage to scenes and films and things like that. But uh, I, I was just kind of... Uh, pleasantly moved and surprised by the, the simplicity and depth of those last scenes of the book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, at one point we were talking and you mentioned that the, right after you read it, you, you thought you saw some flashes of brilliance. And I was just curious, curious um, if um, maybe you could expand on, on what you thought was brilliant about it or, or why you thought that. Mm -hmm. you, I think the exposition, as I just mentioned, setting things up, that's really hard. And I thought uh, that was great. And I would call that brilliant in its way. The, I was really blown away by the Jobitsu scenes where they catapult us into a completely different world and yet a related world. You know, it, it reminded me of Murakami wrote this uh, hard-boiled at the end of the universe book which is it's two stories that seem completely unrelated but they merge and I was reminded of that in this because when we're catapulted into this world of the deep, deep past a fantasy world but a really compellingly believable world we jump into this related you know it's just it was so unexpected but it works perfectly because I don't want to wreck it but 
I don't want to give the spoiler, but it's it's a there's a perfect way to leap into this completely different world and kind of leap back out of it. And I thought that was amazing. And you also had mentioned that that, that and I, I I guess this was again your your reaction to the Joe Butsu chapter um, mm. that it had a really visceral effect on you. Um, what was that effect? I mean, uh, as a writer mm. or communicator, I'm always interested in knowing how what I create affects somebody when somebody says it's visceral. You, the you warrior sections. I kind of felt like a warrior. You know, these are the sections in the deep past. But then I felt connected with something ancient, like ancient warrior persona, or kind of another life or a past life or... I don't know. It was it was hard. It's visceral, so it's hard to put words to it. But it was vibrating something in me very deeply in the past, and I felt drawn to the quality of the writing in that section, you know, on an intellectual level. But then something happened, you know, kind of like when you're chanting or if you do kirtan or any of those kind of mind-body disciplines. It felt like that in a way. And again, uh, I don't have the exact words because it's visceral, but it felt like this kind of deep connection with the past that was happening on a nonverbal way, even though I was reading at the time. Right, right. And um, ultimately, did you think it was an optimistic story? Yes, and I'm actually kind of surprised to say that because it's a story about death and other lives and you know, moving from this plane to another. And it's a story about rage and all kinds of things, you know, anger and remorse and sadness, that all those emotions are in there. But there's an amazing love story here, which to me was not unexpected because it, it is a love story from the beginning. You kind of get that. But the way that the love story plays through was really had a lot of optimism. To me, uh, there's the ending scenes. The last few chapters have this paradoxical thing called a surprising inevitability. I take that to mean that they are inevitable. This is going to happen, but that you get there in such an interesting way that it's surprising. And to me, that's optimistic. It actually made me feel good about appreciating life and appreciating what we have here, and understanding that the moving into death is another state. I was ready to remove some of the fear out of it and the rage out of it and more think about it as another state or another connection to life, which is, I realize, getting a bit philosophical for a podcast. But nonetheless, it was a very optimistic feeling at the end to me. And I really liked that about it. Thanks. I appreciate that. So uh, that's kind of all I have. Is there anything else you'd like to tell me before you start interrogating me? Yeah. <laughs> um, where's the bright light bulb? No. Uh, no, I think that's good. I, it, you know, these questions really made me think about the book in a deep way. And it, it's a real uh, great page turner read. I mean, I read it pretty fast. Uh, the prose really slips forward. You know, you get into kind of a slipstream and moving quickly through it, and yet there's parts to savor as well. So I like that about it as well, both from a, just a writing technical standpoint and just as a reader, you know, it was fun to read. Uh, and fun to read on a Kindle, you know, now it's out in Kindle. Uh, so reading it in that format, you know, sometimes some books don't play that well, 
But I thought this played really well. I really liked reading it in that format. And I'm looking forward to when the paperback comes out because I've got a sneak glimpse of it and it's really beautifully put together. Great art and the interior design of the book I think will bring a lot of pleasure to people. It kind of ups the level of the book. Uh, cool. Well, look, look in your mailbox sometime very soon. <laughs> okay. So I'll ask you a few questions now. Uh, okay. Just very generally, what is Let It Be about? Well, it's kind of a story about the choices we have in life. And it's it's a story, you know, to give you the log line, it's a story about what happened, what would happen if death fell in love? What would that be like? What would the challenges be? And under what circumstances could that even occur? Um, and as I started writing this story um, it was back in 2003 and um, we were still in the midst of the, uh, the Iraq conflict and uh, I was also going through a divorce and um, there was a great sense of loss uh, for me both because of my divorce and also because of um, what I think America lost during that period um, and it looked to me that, um, not to get too political, but it seemed like a, a lot of our foreign policy was being driven by revenge and not common sense, and it seemed to be a very futile exercise. Um, and, uh, you know, I always write from either a state of rage or an anger state. There has to be something inc inciting or, or raging inside of me for me to begin a work. Um, and that was kind of the inciting uh, events that, um, you know, turned me to this story. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's a story about choices. It's a story about revenge. Uh, it's a story about a man who's stuck in a state of rage. What, what made you want to tell the story? You know, um, I guess my my earliest memories are are, are of death. I remember mother's bedroom when I guess I was four or three, and eating a turkey sandwich on a late fall afternoon, and my grandmother just had a heart attack, and uh, I, for some reason that's a very vivid memory for me. It was just me and her. Um, she to balance the turkey sandwich in my lap. And the next memory I have is several months later watching that her mother, my grandmother, had died and watching her react to that. Um, and over the years, having seen many pets die um, and losing an uncle um, who had been a veteran in World War II and decorated and I think he ultimately had a very serious case of PTSD and ended up jumping in front of a subway in New York. Um, and my own experience, you know, when I was 14, I was very sick. I I was diagnosed with subcutaneous emphysema, uh, dehydration, and a very serious asthma attack all at the same time. And by the I was about you know six feet tall, but I only weighed 69 pounds. Um, and I later found out that, you know, if my mother had waited, I probably would have been dead. 
So um, all of this uh, had an effect on me, alienated from the high school um, experience because I was still trying to figure out why the hell I was still alive. And my view of the world was different from, I think, most of my contemporaries who were, you know, unscathed or untouched. Um, I've been carrying that 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 baggage around for a long time. It's one of the reasons I started making movies was because of that experience when I saw Igmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal, the concept of playing chess with death really, really resonated with me. I had grown up playing chess with my understood and loved, and here was Ingmar Bergman playing out my life in this really stark black-and-white film. Uh, just, just I said, wow, that's, that's my life. Uh, this is what I know. Um, and uh, that pushed me on the journey to becoming a creator, an artist, a filmmaker, writer, actor, a lot of people say, oh, let it be, that's the Beatles song, right? And I say, no. Actually, the title comes from uh, William Shakespeare's Hamlet. There's a passage where uh, Hamlet says, there's a special providence in the fall of a sparrow. If it be now, tis not to come. If it be not to come, it will be now. If it be not now, yet it will come. The readiness is all but let it be. So that's the origin of the title. Um, and, and what surprised you most about this journey? Right. What surprised me was this book really wrote itself very quickly. I think that the first draft, uh, uh, well, the origin of the book is it wrote itself in about six weeks. I mean, I was turning out pages left and right surprising to me because after I had done the outline and done all my research, it just flowed out of me so quickly and perfect. Really felt that I was on to something special. Hmm, that's amazing. That's fascinating. Glad to hear that it was a uh, flowed out of you. Uh, were you inspired by any fictional characters when you were writing the book? Yeah, it's funny that you, you mentioned Taxi Driver. Uh, when we were talking earlier, um, I actually worked on that film for a couple of weeks. And the character Travis Bickle uh, has always been uh, one that I, uh, it's hard to articulate. There's, he's really an interesting character. Uh, and uh, uh, so he's one of the characters that, that, ex, that, that inspired me. I always wondered what would Travis Bickle be like in his older age or his later life. Um, the other characters that, uh, you know, that I look to for inspiration are some from the, the Greek and the Irish uh, mythology, Orpheus, Finn McCool, Oisin, um, and then the other films that kind of inspired me were Wings of Desire, the character Damiel, uh, Joe Gideon from uh, Bob Fosse's All That Jazz. Uh, Lady Macbeth, Cleopatra, Hamlet, um, and there's also the uh, the mythology of the the Day of the Dead. So uh, I included some of that Aztec mythology as well. And I always like to mix and match uh, mythologies and and philosophies to see what kind of uh, souffle I can make. 
So uh, that's some of the stuff that inspired me. That's great. Well, it is that mix that makes the book so rich and experienced to read. 